You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. Said this in the first gathering, I'll say it in a second. I'm always reminded in this song when we sing the third verse, which ties this carol to the abolitionist movement. And it always amazes me at how Christian churches could sing and ignore that verse, literally, like the verse would not be sung in many of the Christian churches at the time, or in the churches at the time, but except for the abolitionist movement churches that would sing that song and would carry on and remember that that is the call of Christ, is liberation for all, and that none is liberated until all are liberated. And so I'm grateful for the tension that that song creates uh, in my soul. We are a people who have been invited into joining God in the work of liberation. And we have to be a people who are willing to name the things that are opposed to, a li- to liberating lives. And when we think of what Advent is about, we know that that is part of why God came. God came. Salvation in the Christian tradition isn't just about getting to go to heaven when we die. Um, it's about living as a people who are liberated in such a way that the promises of God become manifest now so that the prayer of Jesus is actually realized. Remember what Jesus said, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The work of liberation is the work that the church joins God in pursuing where there is equity, inclusion, and possibilities for human flourishing for all. That is the peace and the hope and the joy that we proclaim from the love that we see in the Christ who has come. And those are the candles we light every season to remind us of the truth of that story. Because we know that the prophets always came speaking truth. And in speaking truth, they would sometimes have to speak truth to power. And in speaking truth to power, they would always have to speak a word of truth that would be disruptive and disorienting. And then try to reorient that disorientation in a hope that would bring about change. So Isaiah is no different. Isaiah comes to God's people speaking in Isaiah 12 about a day when God will come. And in Isaiah 12, verse 12, uh, chapter 12, verse 1, Isaiah says, In that day you will sing, I will praise you, O Lord. You were angry with me, but not anymore. Now you comfort me. See, God has come to save me. I will trust in him and not be afraid. The Lord God is my strength and my song. He has given me victory. With joy you will drink deeply from the fountain of salvation. In that wonderful day you will sing, thank the Lord, praise his name, tell the nations what he has done, let them know how mighty he is. Sing to the Lord for he has done wonderful things. Make known his praise around the world. Let all the people of Israel shout his praise with joy. For great is the Holy One of Israel, read this with me, who lives among you. Beloved, back then, joy was the outcome of a conscious awareness of the promise of God's presence. And it reminded them in the midst of confusion or despair that if God is present, that is because God wants to be near God's people. And if we are God's people, then we belong to God. And that act of remembering, everybody say remembering, That act of remembering was their way of practicing the promises of God. 
We're going to call that this morning promise practicing. Because too many of us fall into a belief subtly that when we receive promises, we just receive them and now we wait for them. But anytime we make a promise to somebody, we start walking forward in the promise we made so that the promise comes true. Or at least so that the promise is experienced and realized. See, back then, when God made a promise, the people of Yahweh had a choice. Do we just remember the promise and sit back and do nothing? Or do we remember the promise and practice the promise that has been given? Joy is an act of promise practicing. Because joy is rooted in the source of one's belonging to God. And when God makes a promise that you belong to God now and forever without end, without end, then you have a choice to make. I have a choice to make. We have a choice to walk forward in that promise or just wait somehow hoping that it'll do something on its own. When God makes promises, God keeps them. That is probably one of the greatest Lessons of Advent. And where God's promises are practiced, joy's possible. Now, this act of remembering, by God's grace, and practicing this promise, brings a kind of satisfaction to our soul that has the power to actually renew our joy. But it's hard. And King David knew how hard it was. We read Psalms where King David had committed his own sin. We read Psalms where King David was having to live with the sin other people were committing. We read Psalms where King David would write things like, God, where are you? Show up. Why are you angry at me? And that's how the psalm would end. Sometimes we read Psalms from David where he'd say, Why are my enemies getting their way with me? Where are you to defend me? Vindicate the righteous, God. And that's how the psalm would end. You can read these Psalms and find David in what poets have called the dark night of the soul, where it's a night that seems to not end. And then he writes Psalm 30, where it seems like he remembers something and he wants us to remember it too. Psalm 30, verse 1. I will exalt you, Lord, for you rescued me. You refused to let my enemies triumph over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you restored my health. You brought me up from the grave. O Lord, you kept me from falling into the pit of death. Sing to the Lord, all you godly ones. Praise his holy name. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may last through the night. Finish it with me. But joy comes with the morning. Amen. Some of us come to an Advent season and we feel like we are in the night waiting for the morning to come. The promise of God is that the morning comes. It comes. For 20 plus years of my pastoral life, I have sat the bedside of people who lived through the night and found joy in the morning. I have seen joy come morning after morning as I sat through the night after night. I've seen God keep God's promises over and again and again and again. And the story of Scripture tries to remind us that we call out to the God who keeps the promises made to God's people. And this remembrance, this act of remembrance, 
creates anticipation. An anticipation based upon an expectation that the hope of Christ gives us in the midst of denial and despair. This remembrance creates a sense of anticipation based upon an expectation that God keeps God promises. And that, that becomes the path to joy. That's what I've come to believe. And I've come to believe it because of not just what I have seen, but what I have also understood to be true or believed to be true in the story of our faith. See, generations later, another worshiper, one who knew his Hebrew Bible very well, including this scripture that we just read this morning, the Apostle Paul found himself in a place of confusion where he could have been in despair. He sits in a Roman cell in prison because he believes the gospel of King Jesus spoke to every life and all aspects of life. And I want to be really clear, especially people who are new to this family and haven't heard me say this enough just yet or haven't heard someone here say this enough just yet. Paul wasn't arrested because he was preaching good morals. Paul was not arrested because he was preaching good ethics. Paul was not arrested because he was working signs wonders. Paul was arrested because he was proclaiming and embodying that there was a kingdom better than Rome and that there's a king better than Caesar. And that's what put him in prison and that's what put him in jail. Because Paul believed that the gospel spoke to every life and all of life, even your politics. And when the Pax Romana, which is called the Peace of Rome pales in comparison to the peace of Christ. Paul had something to say. And that's why he ended up in court. And that's why he ended up in chains. It wasn't because he was a good guy. And so he's in chains. And he writes this letter to Christians in Philippi. Chapter 4, verse 4. He says this. He says, always be full of joy. Say this with me. In the Lord. I say it again. Rejoice. It's like Paul saying, I said what I said. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. See, this is Paul's way of saying, be thoughtful. Like, be thoughtful. Remember, read it with me, the Lord is near. Remember. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. And thank Him for all He has done. Then you'll experience God's peace. You won't have it. You already have it. Then you'll experience it. Which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Now, what I appreciate about Paul is that this actually wasn't his final thing. He was a good preacher like that. He's like, in conclusion, seven times. One final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure, and lovely, and admirable. Fix your thoughts. Fix. Fix your thoughts. Make a conscious choice to settle your thoughts on these things. Come on now. Fix your thoughts. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting, read it with me, into practice all you learned and received from me. Practice it. Everything you heard from me and saw me doing, then the God of peace will be with you. 
How I praise the Lord that you were concerned about me again. I know you've always been concerned about me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need. Now, I want to pause there. Paul was legitimately in need. All right? He's, been making, he's about to make a point, but brother, was, he was in need. Okay? But he says, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned. Everybody say learned. learned. I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Even so, you have done well to share with me in my present difficulty. And then he goes on to talk about how they financially supported him in this time. Yeah. Now, you probably recognize Philippians 4.13. It can be found on a coffee mug near you. <laughs> Maybe a bumper sticker in front of you and... Maybe even a t-shirt in your closet. Please don't. <laughs> Philippians 4.13 is probably one of the most terribly taken out of context verses. We, I mean, really, I mean, I'm making a generalized day, but it is poorly used. I remember growing up, I don't know if you remember this. Anybody ever remember those weightlifting guys who used to do all things through Christ who strengthens them? Y'all remember them? Were they like powerlifters, like powerlifting for Jesus or something like that? Like... Well, they, we're so weird. Christians are like, we're not weird. And then we do stuff like that. I'm like, weird. Um, and so they're wearing like these leotard things, which obviously is burned in my head. And they're, they're working out. And they're like, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And so like I try like to pray. I'm like, I can do all things through Christ. Oh, like, right? It doesn't work that way because that's not what it means. That's not, you can do anything to a verse taken out of context. I can do all these things for Christ who me. doesn't mean that I just get to walk around and pray and be like, Jesus, like it's not Popeye. It doesn't work that way. There's a context here to the story, right? And the context of the story is Paul is talking about, I can be content because I belong to Jesus. So I can do all, I can do everything through Christ through strength because I'm in Christ. Everybody say in Christ. When he says through Christ, he's meaning I can do everything because I'm in Christ. I may be in chains, but I'm in Christ. I may be in prison, but I'm in Christ. That's what he means. Matter of fact, I think he means, I'm, 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 I'm as confident as I can be as a person who's reading scripture like you. Hopefully by the grace of God and the, the eyes of the spirit. I, I'm as confident in that because of how many times he talks about being in Christ. So I'm about to like... Like, just like, wash you with Bible verses. Now, here's the thing. I am taking these verses out of their larger context. You have them all on your app. Every one of them are there. Look at their context because I want you to see the key languages in the text, okay? So that's my, that's my precursor, context matters. Um, but I want you to see the languaging. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. This letter is from Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. I am writing to all of God's holy people in Philippi. Read it with me. Who belong to Christ Jesus, including the church leaders and deacons. I don't know why he needs the caveat that, but I always find that funny. Like even the, like, even the leaders and deacons belong to Christ. Um, <laughs> Romans 6 verse 3. All of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus. Come on now. That baptismal identity. Central to Paul's theology. Romans 6.11. So you too consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. Where? In Christ Jesus. 
Romans 8 verse 1, please listen, beloved, please listen. Some of you need to hear this and let it settle deep in your soul. May the Spirit of God do this for you. Romans 8 1, therefore there is now no condemnation for those, say it, in Christ Jesus. You may feel it, you are not it. You are not condemned in Jesus. Not happening. You're in Jesus. Jesus is not going to condemn himself. Remember my granddad, God bless him. He loves the Lord, loves the Lord. He's like 96 years old, still doing mission work in South Africa. Loves the Lord. He doesn't believe I love the Lord, but that's a whole other church. That's a whole other like family trauma story that my therapist works out with me. <laughs> I will never forget when I was growing in my faith and I was trying to understand like what it meant to have joy in faith. Because I had read the fruit of the Spirit is joy. There was no joy in my faith. And I would read, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. That's the rest of the verse. And then the whole chapter 8 is about the Holy Spirit living in you. And I was discovering the Holy Spirit. Because I was raised to believe in the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit was like chill. Right? Like just hanging out. Quietly living in the believer. Animating good behaviors. And I was understanding the Holy Spirit wanted to do more than just animate good behaviors. And I remember asking my granddad, like, how do I know I'm going to heaven? And he was like, well, you don't really know until you know. I'm like, well, that doesn't sound joyful. Because I'd hear my dad and, and my granddad and other people at the time, my dad's grown from this, but they would say, well, I hope I get, I hope, I hope I, when I stand before the good Lord, I hope the good Lord lets me in. I'm like, man, I don't know if that's, I think there's a different hope in that. And so I remember asking my granddad, I was like, but, but the Bible says that we can have confidence in salvation. And we can have confidence that Christ has made it real and true and it's lock, stock and barrel. And we can have confidence in that. We're sealed with the Holy Spirit. Paul, I mean, all kinds of language, right? And so I asked my granddad, I said, so then what, I'm, what you're telling me is that if I'm walking down like a road and I fall off a curb and I stub my toe and I say a cuss word and I get hit by a bus, I'm in danger of going to hell. And my granddad, without hesitation, said, yeah. I was like, yo, that's a tightrope. Like God's will is a tightrope. Now, I've since learned that God's will is a highway. And I've since learned that joy has an assurance that flows from the assurance of being in Christ. You're in Christ. Even if you've had preachers like me tell you you're in and out, in and out, in and out, in and out, in and out. You're in. Because that's what the Bible says. You've been baptized where? Into Christ. And it is, it is associated with this baptismal identity, which is why Martin Luther in the 16th century would always tell struggling Christians, hey, hey, remember your baptism. That's right. That's what he would say. So, beloved, if you haven't been baptized, like, get baptized. Come on. In Christ. I like the way Romans 8, 1 says it in the New Living Translation. So now there is no condemnation for those who, say it with me, belong to Christ Jesus. Romans 8, verse 11. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Galatians 3, 27. For all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. Ephesians 1, verse 1. Furthermore, because we are, say it with me, united with Christ. That's in Christ's language. We have received an inheritance from God. 
Ephesians 2 verse 6, for he raised us from the dead along, say it with me, with Christ and seated us, say it with me, with him in the heavenly realms because we are, say it with me, united with Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew, where? In Christ Jesus, so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. We do good things because we're in Christ. We don't do good things and hope to be in Christ. That's the opposite. And of course, it's important that we remember this isn't just a me reality, but a we reality and an everyone invitation without condition reality. Look at Ephesians 3 verse 6. And this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the gospel share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body and both enjoy the promises of blessings. Say it with me. Because they belong to Christ Jesus. See, I'm not making this up. It's been there. It's there all the time. And, and, and this, even pay, this even shaped Paul's prayers. Listen to Paul's prayers, Ephesians 3, verse 16, 17. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner, inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow deep down in God's love and keep you strong. As you practice the promises of God, you experience what it means for Christ to be at home with you and for you to be at home with God because our God is a home-making God. Amen. And you, beloved, are in Christ. Now... Paul goes on to say in Colossians 1.27, he told you I was going to wash you with this. God wanted them to know the riches and glory of Christ. He's talking about the Jews. God wanted the Jewish believers to know the riches and glory of Christ for you Gentiles too. And this is the secret. Say it with me. Christ lives in you. This gives you assurance of sharing his glory. And then here it is quite possibly, quite possibly, the most significant theological statement Paul makes. Colossians 3, verse 3 and 4. For you died to this life. And your life, your real life, I like the language, your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. Yes. What does all that mean, Paul? Talk practical, Paul. When he says it so much, I think what he simply means is, this is what it means to belong to God. When you belong to God and when Christ sees you, he sees you in himself. All that you are and all that you wish you were not or all that you wish you could be. When Christ sees you, Christ sees someone who belongs to him. And so earlier in his letter, Philippians chapter 2, verse 1, Paul asks a rhetorical question. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? I mean, his answer is like, yeah. Now, if you remember in this text, he goes on to talk about, if there is, then live like it. Like, honor one another more important than yourselves. Look out not only for your interests, but the interests of others. Like, that's literally what the rest of the verse says, right? He goes on to say that. And then he goes on to verse 5 and says, And let this attitude be in you that was in Jesus, that though he was God, he did not consider his equality with God as something to be held on to his own advantage. But instead, and in every way, he emptied himself in the form of a slave born as a human being, coming in the likeness of men and made himself obedient even unto death. 
that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord of heaven and earth to the glory of God the Father. He's saying, now, if you are this, then live like that. Practice that promise that has been made to you. And that Paul, I believe, I believe Paul believes that this is the source of our joy. That Paul believes, it seems, that the source of our joy is that we are in Christ. That we belong to Christ. And that is more than a feeling. It is a statement of faith. And so Paul even says before the text we read this morning in Philippians 3, whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. And this is what he says. He says, I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. And just a few verses after the ones we read this morning in chapter 4 and verse 19, Paul says, and the same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us. Say it with me. In Christ Jesus. Paul knew, it seems, that the joy that comes from belonging to God does not give in to denial or fall into despair easily. He could have been in denial of his circumstances, y'all. He could have. He could have done what we call clinically just spiritually bypassed his circumstances. He could have said things like, y'all, God has me here for a reason. Or he could have said, God is in control. Paul never says that. Paul never, ever, 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 never, ever says, never that. He doesn't say that. Ever, Rob, ever. You clear, bro? Like, never. Seriously, like, no, he doesn't say it. He he never, Rob's like, I know Fred, I know what he's doing. He never says that. He did, instead, he says things like, look, God is with me in this, and he's going to redeem this. God, Paul may say, hey, all things will work together for good for those who love God and called according to his purpose, because God's in it with you. God doesn't say, hey, God's in control. He says, God is near. Because sometimes the enemy's in control, but God is still near. That's what Paul says. And he even says it here. He even says it here. Because he refuses to let the enemy lead him to waste his suffering. Hear me out. He refuses to let the enemy lead him to waste his suffering. Because God is near. And because he knew of the joy that was possible. And he could submit his circumstances to God to redeem his suffering. As long as he kept showing up. And he said in chapter 1, verse 12, And I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped spread the good news. He doesn't say everything that's happened to me happened for a reason. He said everything that's happened here to me has been redeemed by God. He says, For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I'm in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. Beloved, we are often tempted to deny what is happening in us, to us, or around us because 
because if we admit it and see it, we might fall into despair. The struggle is real, and I recognize the struggle is real. All I have to do is read the prayer requests in our worship guide to know the struggle is real. All I have to do is think of bullets and bombs to know that the struggle is real. And this season of Advent meets us in the realness of this struggle and the joy that it invites us to allows us to name it and see it for what it is because we know that although sometimes we feel the weight of the reign of sin and death, we still belong to God and that cannot be taken away because what the world doesn't give, as the song says, the world cannot take away. And the joy that came to Paul that led him to peace came from remembering that he belonged to God and was in Christ. Whether he was in chains or in freedom, he is in Christ. Whether he is in sickness or in health, he is in Christ. Whether he is in need or in abundance, he is in Christ. Beloved, Paul wants us to know what was true for him is true for us. And we can set our hearts and minds to remember this promise and commit to promise practicing that whether you are in chains or in freedom, you are in Christ. Whether you are in sickness or in health, you are in Christ. Whether you are in need or in abundance, you are in Christ. And whether you are in a room alone or in a room with a hundred people, you are still in Christ. Christ, and if being in Christ is the source of my joy, then my circumstances no longer have the same amount of power to take away my joy. And when I struggle, I remember, and I remember, and I come to you, and I remember, and I come and sing a song, and I remember, I pray a prayer, and I remember, I confess a scripture, and I remember, I light a candle, and I remember, I come to the Eucharist, and I remember, I remember that I am in Christ. And maybe by the power of the Holy Spirit who said the fruit of the Spirit is joy, that maybe that seed that is in me is watered and nurtured and it grows and I feel the joy that is in me. Because in chains, I have to remember that I belong to God in freedom to remember that I belong to God in sickness, to remember that I belong to God in health, remember that I belong to God in need, remember that I belong to God in abundance, remember that I belong to God in a room alone, remember that I belong to God in a room with a hundred people, remember that I belong to God, and if I belong to God, then the God who I belong to is always near. That's right, that's right. Thank you, Jesus. And sometimes that is all I know. Now, some of us, are smarter than that, or think we are. And we reason and we logic it out according to our, we sort out our emotions. Hear me out, and I said this in the hope message. We sort out our emotions according to logic and reason. And we fall into the trap of being swallowed up in this logic and reason that we're just trying to pacify our emotions by and we forget the deepest confessions of our faith and that is why we come to Advent to remember that as a people of joy we resist denial and we refuse despair and you can do both and we can tell the truth about the world God is remaking and we can commit to practices shaped by the promises of that story like Eucharist and we countered the denial by telling the truth. And we countered the despair by promise practicing. And we remember that as we do all of this, 
We belong to God and we do everything I can to put one foot in front of the other and walk forward in that promise. And the night will turn to day. And Jesus will be with me through it all. And so we should ask for and fully expect God to transform us and move us through and beyond our circumstances into the discovery of a renewed joy that our promise-keeping God of Advent brings. You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast.